um, a little bit about myself before I begin. Um, I am what is referred to as a period historian for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, or sometimes referred to as an epic historian, E-P-I-C, meaning a window of time, just a small period. I spent about 47 years of my life studying one little window of time, 1805 through 1844. It's just the life of Joseph Smith. Uh, I don't go west with the saints. Um, I do some preliminary stuff prior to Joseph involving his ancestry somewhat, but uh, it's just Joseph. That's, that's all I do. Um, my background is in archaeology and anthropology. So I'm the guy that kind of digs in the dirt just a little bit. And uh, I really enjoy that though a lot. There's a lot to be said. Um, Joseph, of course, was not alone in the challenges that he's going to face. He's going to be escorted by this woman right there, Emma. And for certainty, let me make this very clear. The record is uncontestable. Joseph loved Emma with his whole heart. Okay. Now, if you get to chatting with, with people that are down on Emma a little bit for this or that, you share some of what I'm about to share with you. Okay. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big Emma fan because of what I think is the case. This woman was elect and chosen by God to be the mother of the Son of God. This woman here was chosen by God, was an elect woman chosen by God to be the wife of the greatest prophet that would ever walk this planet. And I'll share that with you in just a second. So to, to, to shoot from the hip and, and throw things, darts this way is extremely um, dangerous. For an individual to do, there's an accountability that may have to be there if you're that way with regards to Emma. It's not only possible, but I, I, I believe it's true that Emma was foreordained to be the wife of, of the greatest prophet that would be here on earth. Hiram Smith said this of Joseph, Joseph was the living embodiment of all the prophets who preceded him. There were prophets before, but Joseph has the spirit and power of all prophets. If that is the case with Joseph Smith, I'm sure, and Joseph was foreordained to do this work, I'm sure his wife, who will be by his side during the course of all this, was likewise foreordained. I truly believe that. In Doctrine and Covenants section 25, Emma is referred to as, quote, an elect lady. And as you bring up Doctrine and Covenants section 25 uh, with the Come Follow Me material, you'll see that the word elect is highlightable. And so if you click on that word elect, it's going to take you to 2 John 1, 1. And in John 1, 1, when you click on that, it says this, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. Now this is John the Beloved sending a letter to an elect lady and her children. Okay? He identifies himself as the elder, reflecting not only the fact that he's older, but also that he is the man with the authority. Okay? This letter is written in an incredible, sincere love. The words truth and love are found five times in the first six verses of, of this chapter, 2 John 1. Now, the Hebrew word elect means vachor, V-A-C-H-O-R, vachor. And Vachor translates in Hebrew, the word elect, to chosen. And the New International Version of the Bible actually translates this to chosen by God. 
Oh, an elect lady chosen by God. So let's take a minute and walk in her shoes, okay? So that you can get a feel for this, this woman. We kind of all know this elect person. Let's, let's try and figure this one out. Forty-six times the prophet was charged with some trumped-up accusation. Forty-five times he was acquitted. So Emma spent a good portion of her time visiting her husband behind bars or in custody of others. Joseph lived in seven states. None of them ever claimed him. He was driven from three, imprisoned by one, and martyred in another. In the early 1800s, when Joseph and Emma were trying to, to have a family, the infant mortality rate was 50%. 50%. One out of two children died at birth. The average lifespan of a healthy individual is 38 and a half years old. Emma had 11 children. Only five are going to survive. Only going to five. Well, and half of all the deaths of women was from childbirth. Yes, it, that's very, very true. Only in one instance is Emma going to have a child in a home she could call her own. And that's going to be David Hiram Smith, born after Joseph's martyrdom. And later in life, unfortunately, David is going to suffer mentally. And he's going to be confined for 27 years and die in the Northern Illinois Hospital and Asylum for the Insane in Elgin, Illinois. This is, this is Emma and Joseph's children. Where did the posterity of the church come from outside of Brigham Young? Hiram. Exactly. Not Joseph. Joseph knew his posterity would be small and trouble trouble the church, i.e. Joseph Smith III, Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, today known as the Community of Christ Church. And the, the breakaway groups, you know, are, are that, that family, the Smith family. It's very, very true. So, walking in her footsteps with regards to children had to be incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. When Emma was elected the first president of the Nauvoo Relief Society, Joseph said that his wife's call fulfilled a prophecy revealed to him 12 years earlier, in which the Lord spake to Emma and said, You are an elect lady whom I have called, and told her that she would be ordained under Joseph Smith's hand to expound Scripture and to exhort the church according as it shall be given thee by the Spirit. Well, Joseph Smith thought, that DNC 25 was so important that on the very first day of organizing the Relief Society, he read the entire section to the Relief Society. And then in a meeting six weeks later, the prophet Joseph Smith taught the sisters at length, and part of what he said, and I quote, is this, This society is to get instruction through the order which God has established, through the medium of those appointed to lead. And I now turn the key to you in the name of God, and this society shall rejoice, and knowledge and intelligence shall flow down from this time forward. Well, Joseph Smith had the key, all the keys of the priesthood necessary to, to, to have the Relief Society then take and run with all this knowledge and intelligence that it's going to need. And it's all going to start and flow from Emma, the first, or the elect, the first president. Emma was also charged with creating what? Relief. Outside of the Relief Society, a hymn book. A hymn book, that's right. 
you one more thing when you yeah. when you read that yes. when Joseph Smith read all of DNC twenty five yeah. to the Relief Society and he said this society shall preside and knowledge and influence shall flow. Can you read that? Yes, I can. I sure can. This society is to get instruction through the order which God has established. That would be through the priesthood, through the medium of those appointed to lead, meaning the women will have the priesthood, literally the priesthood, to administer as they do. And we could get into that. It's another fireside altogether about women exercising the priesthood and healing the sick and doing things. Yeah. And I now turn the key to you in the name of God, and this society shall rejoice, and knowledge and intelligence shall flow down from this time forward. From this time forward. Yep. All right. Then having those keys. Yep. Okay. okay, Emma was charged with, with making the songbook, and in Doctrine and Covenants section 25, again, it says, For the song of the righteous is a prayer unto me. Her hymnal would be, um, would be pretty incredible, actually. There's going to be 90 hymns in it. It's going to be, uh, Emma was going to be assisted in the creation of this hymn book by William Wine Phelps, W.W. Phelps. Um, he did an awful, uh, Emma did the, pick the songs, and he constructed the book. He, he was a printer and, and actually uh, a, um, he, he created some songs himself. 34 of the songs that are written in the 1835 edition of Emma's first hymn book were written by members of the church. Such individuals as W.W. Phelps, this printer I'm alluding to. Parley P. Pratt wrote a song. Eliza R. Snow, William Clayton, Philo Dibble, Orson F. Whitney, and Alexander Nybar also authored songs in, in, this, in this edition. Now the hymns had no music to it. It's just kind of a running dialogue, you might say, of, uh, of, of words that are sung to well-known tunes at the time. Okay? Um, in 1840, Joseph asked Emma to enhance the book to be able to have songs that would be meaningful to the new immigrants coming from England. Now, here's a copy of Emma's 1840 hymn book. I'll let, pass this around and let you take a look. I have this open now to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, this is it right here. And if you took the time to read the Spirit of God, hey, we're missing two or three verses in our hymn book that were here. And to me, they're quite meaningful. And so... Um, perhaps our new hymn book that we're supposed to have come out will have a more... We have a new one coming in? Yeah, we're going to have a new hymn book. When it happens remains to be seen. The church sometimes moves a little slow. But that new hymn book has been in the works for some time now. But that's the 1840 hymn book that was to be a little more meaningful to our English converts. And instead of 90... Um, songs in it. This particular hymn book has uh, 345 hymns in it. So we have a lot more hymns in, uh, in this particular hymn book, okay? This is a real copy of... Absolutely. That's one of my vault <laughs> items. We have the vault. He brings stuff every week when we film him. And he just did a really neat one with Rod just yesterday. That was fun, yeah. And you had Rod Moldrum come speak to you, I understand. Oh, yeah. How long was that fireside? <laughs> I'll be done in just a few minutes. But I know, <laughs> and a sleeping bag at times. I, I, I can understand that. So, so that was, uh, that's the 1840 hymn book. And then again in 1843, Joseph said, we need more songs. Joseph loved music. 
and he liked Emma's involvement in music. And so he, he, he asked the saints to send songs to Emma in 1843 for a new songbook. And so I've, this is a copy of the original Times and Seasons article where Joseph is requesting hymns to be sent to Emma. Okay, now that's about four pages into this. This is an original, uh, and, and you can kind of get a feel. This is the stuff that's actually listed in this particular edition of the Times and Seasons, but it is the edition that talks about requesting songs for Emma, so I'll just let you pass that around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't, don't get my wife started. <laughs> Yeah, we need a little bigger, bigger house. <laughs> Nevertheless, um, so so the so songbooks, you know, the 1835 edition, then the 1840, then the 1843. I just want to read to you. I ought to have my wife um, rehearse this, but I won't. Um, in the Joseph Smith Birthplace Memorial Visitor Center is a quote. Um, I couldn't read it because I it, it's. It would, it would kind of break me up. But my wife had the courage to read it to our guests as they would come through. And so I'm going to, I'm going to give this quote to you. Again, this is taken from, um, from our visitor center in Sharon, Vermont. This is what Joseph said about Emma. What unspeakable delight and what transports of joy swelled my bosom when I took by the hand my beloved Emma, she that was my wife, even the wife of my youth and the choice of my heart. Many were the reverberations of my mind when I contemplated for a moment the scenes we had been called to pass through, the fatigue, the toils, the sorrow, the suffering, the joy and the consolations. Oh, what a commingling of thought filled my mind for the moment. And again, here she is, even in the seventh trouble, undaunted, firm, unwavering, unchangeable, affectionate Emma. That's quite a thing to say about your wife. Um, we don't speak this way anymore. When's the last time Mike said that to you, Nancy? Has it been a while? <laughs> well, let me share with you an incident in the life of Emma to the very end of her life, at the very end of her life, that I think reflects the profound love that she had, not only for her husband, but for her children. This incident was told by Emma's son, Alexander Hale Smith, on July 1st, 1903, in New, South Dakota. Here's the story. Sister Elizabeth Revel, Emma's nurse, explained to Alexander that a short time before Emma's death, she had a vision which she related to me. She said, your father came to her and said to her, Emma, come with me. It is time for you to come with me. And as she related it, was, and as she related it she said, I put on my bonnet and my shawl and went with him. I did not think that it was anything unusual. I went with him into a mansion, a beautiful mansion, and he showed me through the different apartments of that beautiful mansion. And one room was a nursery, and in that room was a babe in the cradle. She said, I knew my babe, Don Carlos, that was taken away from me. Don Carlos lived to be 14 months old before he passed away. She sprang forward, caught the child up in her arms, and wept with joy over the child. When she recovered herself sufficiently, she turned to Joseph and said, Joseph, where are the rest of my children? And Joseph said to her, Emma, be patient, and you shall have all your children. And then she saw standing by his side a personage of light, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's 
quite a vision to, to receive literally on your deathbed. And then Alexander Smith said this at the death of Emma, right at her death. Emma seemed to sink away, but when she raised up and stretched out her hand, she called Joseph, Joseph, and then fell back into Alexander's arms. She clasped her hands on her bosom and the spirit was gone. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Emma was an extremely courageous woman that had a huge amount of faith as all of these women have. Well, young ladies, I'm in awe at your individual and collective faith. As I came to the door and saw the sign, I, I applaud what you're doing and I pray that you'll make a difference. I, I really do. We need more, more groups of people like yourself. But if there's an acronym for what we've been talking today, for the word faith, F-A-I-T-H, it might be forsaking all, I trust Him. Faith. Forsaking all, I trust Him. Well, let me just conclude by paying homage again to, to, to Joseph Smith, because I think it has to do with what we're talking about. In 1892, Andrew White, U.S. Foreign Minister to Russia, was asked by Leo Tolstoy, the following question. Tell me about the religion that originated in America with Joseph Smith. White admitted that he knew very little about the Mormon faith. Tolstoy, obviously displeased, then said, and I quote, If people would follow the teachings of this church and its prophet, nothing can stop America's progress. That kind of falls into what you ladies are all doing. It will be limitless. If Mormonism is able to endure through the third and fourth generation, it is destined to become the greatest power the world has ever known. Tolstoy? Yeah, Tolstoy. Wow. Isn't that incredible? That is an incredible quote. Oh, you have got to be right there. <laughs> well, let me share with you one last little bit of a conference address of Neil Anderson. He said, A testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith can come differently to each of us. It may come as you kneel in prayer, asking God to confirm that he was a true prophet. It may come as you read the prophet's account of the first vision. It may come as you bear your own testimony of the prophet, or as you stand in the temple and realize that through Joseph Smith, the holy sealing power was restored to the earth. With faith and real intent, your testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith will strengthen you against the constant water balloon volleys from the sidelines. You may occasionally get wet, but you need never ever extinguish your burning fire and testimony of Joseph Smith. So with regards to Emma, I might ask, was Joseph and Emma just an average, everyday couple, as the internet would have you believe? Do you know Mike Kennedy? I do. Oh, okay, because he came and spoke to us once. Uh, I'm sure he had some great stories to share, too. Oh, yeah, he did. It was awesome. I remember a fireside when he read that quote about yes. Emma, and I just like got this blood. Because I, um, Mike, Mike's been a part of our family for many years, but I just heard like Emma wants all her babies back, and I'm a witness that that's been happening. Because there were just two or three members when I was 13 and 12, 12, 13, 14, and went to those first Hiram Joseph Smith reunions yes. every two years, and I've seen it grow to hundreds. And and now we have missionaries out. And that's, that's very, very exciting for us as we, as we do that. From the Joseph Smith side. Oh, okay. Yeah, never thought I'd live to see that happen. But then it's, it's happening, and we're very, very excited awesome. about that. 
Well, let me just throw one last thing with, with regards to Joseph and, and to uh, and Emma. Um, this is what they were promised collectively together. Their lives would be preserved until the time they needed were needed elsewhere. They would receive an inheritance in Zion. Their sins were forgiven them, and they were both elect. And so these good folks were anything but average, if we could only be so average, huh? I read a book about 35 years ago called Judge Me, Dear Reader, mm. and it's about Emma mm -hmm. and what she went through. And uh, I, I don't know who wrote it. I, I probably got it somewhere. But boy, I'll tell you, the empathy I had for that poor gal, yes. that what she went through, and it broke my heart yeah. that, uh, you know, people are maligning, maligning her because she went through so much. Not only Joseph, but she did too. Well, Satan knows where the weak points are. And he's going to highlight those, and he's going to highlight them in a huge fashion. And that's why some of our social networking and social media uh, becomes a tool of the adversary that is very, very effective, deadly effective. But I want to thank you for inviting me to come and, and be with you. Yeah. I don't get a chance to, uh, <laughs> to talk to such an, uh, an elite group of people. <laughs> Well, that's great to hear. I had somebody come up to me when I was lecturing below the window at Carthage Jail and say they saw Joseph Smith standing next to me. I recorded that one in my journal. That was a recordable incident. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Well, any other questions? Yes. So Emma had 11 pregnancies. Uh-huh. And delivery. Including a stillborn, yes. And, and, and twins. So it's yes. like 10 pregnancies, twins. Yes, being, yes, okay. yes. So 10 pregnancies <coughs> and, okay. yeah. and the two adopted twins. And the, well, uh, yeah. A, a that she bore. Yeah. In place of Thaddeus and Louisa, who died at birth, she ended up inheriting uh, Joseph Murdoch Smith and, and Joseph's but sister. she still had 10 deliveries. Yeah, yeah. We just but the about question is, for me, is that and it's, it is the polygamy question that being you know to these other women obviously joseph was very virile she was very fertile but there are no other descendants from no. any of those other women that are purported to be his wives in fact i was with rod Muldrum on a podcast we did yesterday or the day before and 25 of the 32 individuals that were wives of the prophet Joseph Smith through polyandry or polygamy in some fashion. 25 ancestries have been followed and DNA samples have been taken. There, is, there are no children from any relationship Joseph had. In fact, I can't find... No, other children. Other children. I can't find any references uh, that are sexual in relationship. There are none. Joseph was so desperate to fulfill this commandment because of what's over his shoulder here, which is an angel with a drawn sword, to fulfill this commandment. All I want to do is get this off my shoulders. I know, I've known about this commandment since 1831 when I tried to practice it and should never have practiced it. It's now 1842 and I better get this done or I'm going to be removed from office. I, could, I do a fireside on, on polygamy. Polygamy saved the church. Saved the church. And I'm not talking about posterity. I'm talking about the fractures that took place at the death of Joseph. The eight different groups of people that went off with large handfuls of saints saying, Joseph said, I'm now the leader, or whatever. The one that didn't, and the one that went west, 
did not fracture because of the network, the, the net, the fabric that was woven through polygamy that kept the Quorum of Twelve Apostles together. Certainly it was a test for them, but had they not done polygamy, the fractures would have been severe and would have taken a toll within the Quorum of Twelve. So polygamy saved the church and provided a network to reestablish the church in the Utah Basin. That's a whole different subject and a whole different uh, lecture. For her testimony, she said that those women were not doormats whatsoever. No, I'm and not, I, I'm not yeah. saying that. Oh, I'm I just know, saying the way that he practiced it. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. saying it yeah, at his, what is it, the Sermon of the Grove or the very last. Mm -hmm. And he still, I mean, it looked like he was saying, I, I'm not a polygamist. No, no. No, Joseph would leave all that to, to others. That wasn't his role. He wasn't asked to take and create a posterity. Ali was asked to introduce polygamy. Get it started. There's a reason for it, of course, we didn't know but at didn't the time. did interpret it correctly? No, 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 no. And we still don't today. We well, still don't today. said that that root had to go so deep that it could sustain until the millennium the tree of the restored There you go. Well, the eight fractured groups that broke off from the church practiced polygamy. And today, there's not a one of these groups that's still in existence. Hey, Isn't that interesting? Can you tell me a little bit of Sidney Rigdon's? The Rigdonites? Yeah. That's a whole... You don't have time for that. Well, Sidney Rigdon, of course, you know, he was... He'd left by then and gone back east to, to practice you know, law or whatever and, and whatnot. But at the death of Joseph, he shows up on the doorstep. You know, it's down from the mansion house. It's down from the red brick store. Okay, anyway, he shows up and he says, he says, I'm supposed to be the guardian of the church. I'm not supposed to be the prophet. Joseph's still the prophet. But through me, his desires and his wishes will be made known. And, of course, the general authorities are all out campaigning for Joseph to become president of the United States. And so it's just a handful that are there in Nauvoo at the time. And, and they say, well, we don't know much about that. We want to hold off until we get the quorum together. And so he convinced them that that would be the case. And then you have the infamous windy day, windy day in August. That's a, oh, you need to hear that fireside. The day when, when Brigham Young stood up and took the mantle of Joseph and Sidney Rigdon stood up and they couldn't hear a word he said because as he stood up, a mighty rushing wind came up and people couldn't hear from where they were what he was saying. And he's a great orator, don't get me wrong. He can convince you that you can walk on water. But this day wasn't to be that day. And then Brigham Young stood up and the wind ceased and he took the mantle of Joseph Smith. And there were countless witnesses that saw not only the mantle, but the features, the height, the weight, the, the features, the gestures of Joseph, everything. And they knew immediately that the Quorum of Twelve Apostles was to be, was to be the leadership of the church. And so Sidney Rigdon packed up his bags and left and went back east, tried to start his own church of Christ. Failed miserably at it, as did most of them that became the Whiteites, the Rigdonites. The, the, there's a lot of ites that are these fraction groups, you know, all these ites. And none of them survived. None of them survived. And what's interesting, as I mentioned, is none of these groups believed in polygamy. And so you'd think, okay, well, we don't like polygamy. They're maybe on to something here. They didn't practice polygamy. And they all died out. Not a one of them 
Not a one of them is, is still in existence from that time. But the one group that did practice polygamy, the Quorum of the Twelve, survived. It's a lot of research that I've had to put into this stuff, but there's some telltale signs here that honestly, polygamy, as much as you may not like it, and it's, it's a hard subject, polygamy saved the church being practiced from 1842 to 1844. Question. Yeah. So you had talked about Lucy Mack. Yeah. Her and Joseph had, uh, Joseph Smith Sr. had a home and, and they wanted to go somewhere else to open a mercantile. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that, that that didn't what pan out or what happened. Um, it didn't. I, I kind of was waiting for you to say that, and then you went on. It didn't. <laughs> it did not pan out. In fact, because of an incident that took place in Randolph when they were trying to open up their store, they would never be landowners again. Now, there's. Did they lose their other home. They they had property in Tunbridge that was given them and a home there that ended up having to be sold to pay off debtors in Boston that they <coughs> borrowed all the supplies and stuff for the mercantile store, and it all has to do with an, inc an incident called ginseng. Ginseng. This is the ginseng incident when Joseph decided, Joseph Sr. decided, I'm going to go out in the forest and collect ginseng. Ginseng was used at that time to combat, to combat the plague in China. And ginseng root is also ground up and used in perfume and very expensive things. Ginseng grows plentifully in the forest of Vermont. I grew it when I was out there. And there's still a little place of ginseng, I hope it's still there, that we show guests when we go there. But the ginseng, to make a long story short, was stolen. Was stolen from a fellow in Vermont that was a neighbor of the Smiths that knew Joseph Sr. was going to ship all his stuff to China and get a boatload of money, as much as $4,500, which would make Joseph Sr. a millionaire then, to pay off his debts and do everything he needed to do. Well, this guy went with the shipment to China and stole it. So he comes back and says, Joseph, your, 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 your venture was, it never happened, it never worked out. In fact, all you got is this chest of tea. And he gives him a chest of tea. Well, this kid stole all the money, opened up his own ginseng, all of a sudden, hires 10 or 15 people, and everybody's going, you were never in the ginseng business. And now, what's going on? There's something suspicious here. And so Solomon Mack's son, Daniel Mack, Followed this guy into a bar one day. Guy got drunk, started to tell the real story of what happened. Daniel Mack takes off to go get the sheriff. The guy sobers up and realizes what he's done, grabs what's left of his money, and flees to Canada. And they never get the money back. And so poor Joseph Sr. and their family are in debt $3,500. And so they have to sell their home back in Tunbridge, sell their property. She got a $1,000 dowry from her brother upon getting married that they were so excited to hang on to. Had to give that all up. And all of a sudden, they're broken, busted. And no place to go. And so her father, Solomon Mack, says, come and live in this little cabin on this hill, and you can stay there. And in that little cabin is where Joseph Smith Jr. is going to be born in Sharon, Vermont. So that's, 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 that's just the, the buffer. But that, yeah, this family had its challenges. You think of the Smiths, you better think of tribulation. It was not going to be easy, and it wasn't easy for generations 
I could tell you about the generations from Topsfields and the challenges they had. You know, these folks lived during the time of the Salem witch trials and all kinds of other things that got absorbed into the Smith lore and stuff. This is a family of challenges. So to say that they were courageous with a lot of faith is kind of a major understatement. You know, to think that they actually pulled it off and were, were now recipients of their, their faith and courage is remarkable. So uh, when Joseph came back and told the story of God the Father, seeing the Father and, and, uh, and the Savior, his Lucy probably immediately... There's the religion I've been looking for. <laughs> Literally, Joseph was quite concerned about talking to his dad and mother. Um, that they well, may she had been primed for that. Yeah, uh, right. Well, they had members of their family in almost every one of the church religions yeah. around. You remember the incident when Joseph, coming back, was weak in the fields mm -hmm. and then fell trying yes. to cross the fence and had that fifth vision of Moroni. Yes. Moroni scolded Joseph and told him, "Why haven't you told your mom and dad?" about what went on the other night in the attic when I visited you so many times. Uh, I'm afraid that they wouldn't believe me. Tell them they'll believe every word of it. And so that's when he says, I'd better start to follow directions a little more clearly. And he, and he told well, his mom and dad. Yeah, that's, he was just a kid. That's just exactly kid. right. I heard yes, something about how Lucy also went to the grove to pray. Yes. This was not just an isolated spot out in the timbers. This is a place their family had identified as a very sacred place to pray. Yeah, there's some, the only, there's, shall I go down that road? Yeah. Okay. Um, George Anderson was sent on a mission. He was a photographer for the church in 1907 to, um, take pictures of sacred historic sites. So in 1907, he's going around doing this stuff. Now I'm going to take you back two years earlier. In 1905, Joseph F. Smith, at the dedication of the Sharon Vermont Memorial, where we visited, that was in 1905, said to the brethren, I want to visit some other church, sacred church history sites. So he went down to Harmony, Pennsylvania, to the Susquehanna, and then he went up to the sacred grove. And while in the sacred grove, he was moved upon by the Spirit to say, this is the location where the young boy Joseph received a vision of the father and son. That was in 1905, the 100th anniversary of the birth of Joseph Smith. Two years later in 1907, when George Anderson's roaming around taking his pictures in the sacred grove, there happened to be a guy with him that was with the prophet two years earlier when he said, this is the spot. So George Anderson says, stand there, let me take a picture. And so he takes a picture of this man standing in the grove where this was supposed to have taken place. And in that picture, in the very, very distant, you can see the Smith family barn, and you can see the Cooper shed and a little bit of Alvin's home. And so I guess what I'm telling you, if you are searching out where that exact spot might have taken place, at least according to this story that I'm telling you now, it was probably more towards the front part of the grove, which has perhaps been forested, deforested a number of times, and new growth is there now. So I don't know that um, it, the location would have been deep in the sacred grove. I lose people in the sacred grove every year. <laughs> The sacred grove paths are hard enough to follow, especially in the fall with the leaves, that I get guests lost there all the time. But what a place to be lost. 
great place oh, to be yeah. lost. And it's so fun for me to go and rescue them. Yeah, okay, you so, guys. So the cavern yeah. where all the, the repository, they call it, with mm -hmm. all the records, it's there at the Hill Camorra, isn't it? Yeah, was that last podcast I did? Or maybe it was two, two, yeah. two times ago. I, re I rehearsed in a podcast um, about 13 different accounts of this cave, of this repository. Orson, Orson Pratt is the one that called it a repository of sacred records and testaments that may have Zenith, Zenith. Their records may be there, as, as, as well as countless other prophets of the ages stored in this repository to come forth someday. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited, excited when the prophet one day says, uh, we have new scripture. We've got the Urim and Thummim. We've got new scripture. I'm a prophet, seer, seer, and revelator. I can give you new, new stuff now, and that will happen. We'll, I hope in our lifetime we'll be privy to, to some of the new scripture that will come out that is so, so promised. And it'll be, it'll be incredible to see these additional witnesses of Jesus Christ that we'll, we'll have a chance to, to hear about. But yeah, um, that cave stuff is, is pretty well documented. Yeah. It's, Has anybody actually gone around and tried to search? <laughs> like you? <laughs> Most of the stuff. Um, the Hill Camorra today looks actually very, very different than it did at the time of Joseph Smith. Okay, every growth, every piece of, every tree on there has been planted since then. Um, the, at the, hill, the time of Joseph Smith's retrieving the plates, um, the hill was very different. It had about seven different kinds of trees growing on it, but at the top of the hill was actually quite bare, quite bare. And... Uh, the, the, the plates were found two-thirds way up the hill on the west side on the northern end. And apparently that depression of where those plates and, and, and artifacts were taken um, was seen by a number of people. There are daguerreotypes, ancient pictures that show groups of Latter-day Saints standing where this depression was. Well, the owner of the hill got so tired of trespassing Mormons that they since filled that all in, and you couldn't find it today if you wanted to. Now, the church perhaps knows exactly where that so was. Stone box and all that. Yeah. Covered yeah. Over. Yeah. So memories of steam shovels ripping up the hill trying to find the yeah. room. Yeah, the treasure hunting was very prevalent back then. Yes. It's kind of off topic. Uh, there is no topic, apparently. No, we're, it's just a Q&A. All over the map here. Well, it's about Doctrine and Covenants 13. There's something I haven't understood in your comment about the temple not being at the Dome of the Rock. Maybe you could enlighten me. Sorry if you guys know this. Mm. Um, but in 13, it, it says that the priesthood of Aaron will never be taken again from the earth until the sons of Levi do offer again an offering unto the Lord in righteousness. So we know that the tribe of Levi is practicing the sacrifice in connection to the return of the Savior. Animal sacrifice. Can you Correct. go into any more detail on that? All I can tell you without getting into a, uh, th that fireside, dealing with that, is that prior to the uh, second coming of the Savior, under the direction of two apostles, I'll just go right that, animal sacrifice will happen again. With, with Levites, with, with these priests. And, and that will conclude that. Mm -hmm. Chapter will be completed and done. Again, under the direction of, of two apostles that will be there. Two apostles who eventually will be killed right. and, and end up lying in the streets, 
there. And, and then, of course, you have the, the second coming gets ushered in very, very quickly at that time. Um, yeah, so that, that is kind of an allusion to what will take place in this temple. So this temple will have to be built by then. But why would they do that? They don't believe in Christ. Um, Where do they get that? Well, they well, believe in the Messiah is coming. Well, the atonement is known as the great and last sacrifice. So why would that be the last book then that would seal I could, I could see that so too. Their Messiah is coming then, but it's not Christ. Not Christ, but Messiah so. ben Joseph or Messiah ben David. And that's a whole different arena of, of stuff. But Jesus Christ is, is will, they'll be quickly convinced of this. Um, and the temple may or may not be built by strictly Jewish individuals. They expected a military leader with the Romans. Yeah, they, they did. Got a spiritual leader. Now we expect a spiritual, a spiritual leader. leader. Get a military. <laughs> Something's going to have to happen because it's going to all fall well, apart over there. Was, it's not going to be that hard to build. It's not a large building. They have plans for it. There's, there's a lot, a, a lot of speculation as to what that temple will look like. Uh, my presentation is just that it will not be at the Dome of the Rock. Right. Um, it will be. It will be someplace different, and. Um, I have been an eyewitness to some incredible things that have been uncovered recently in, in the city of David. Mm -hmm. Markings, markings that are very familiar to us, that are etched as troughs to collect blood from animal sacrifices, mm -hmm. compass-looking, square-looking things in the floor. And, and my guides, well... Must have something to do with Melchizedek. We're not sure about this stuff. And they move on to other stuff. I have seen the oldest sacrificial stone ever found in Israel in David. A slaughter stone that was used for animal sacrifice that goes back, in my opinion, to the stone that was erected by David to, to stop a, a, a plague that was harassing his people and killing thousands of folks. Um, it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a deep fireside because we cover lots and lots of scripture. But um, yeah, I'm excited about the future of Israel. Some of my best friends are Jews and Arabs. I mean, I go to Bethlehem as often as I go to Jerusalem. And Bethlehem is a Palestinian territory. And my good friend in Bethlehem, Muhammad, says, okay, I can't wait for the Savior to come so that we all can believe in the same thing. Muhammad is a Christian. In Bethlehem, you can proselyte. You could go door to door. And he'll send you baby blankets for your grandfather. There you go. <laughs> but, uh, but you can't do anything across the wall. You can't do any of that in Israel. See, Bethlehem isn't really Israel. It's, uh, it's Israel, but it's not Israel. It's, it's, a, it's a different territory and a different breed of people. But you're also in Palestinian territory. And it's a little more volatile. You know, it's a little less clean, you might say. And, and stuff, but uh, the day will come when all these people will be looking and they'll see it. And they'll all go, wow, we're really all brothers. <laughs> yeah, we're really all brothers. Isn't that remarkable? <laughs> I saw something, and I didn't get to read all of it, but about the Temple of Melchizedek. Uh -huh. uh, is that? I don't even remember what I read now. It was just something real quick that came up on Google. And Having to do with Israel? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and I saw something with those 
we read and hear so much about the Levites, Levitical, and the Aaronic, Aaron, priesthood. They don't hear too much about the high priest Melchizedek and the Melchizedek priesthood. Of course, we know that this is not going to be strictly a Levitical, Aaronic temple to be built. This is going to be a Melchizedek priesthood temple to be built. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's so well, much. Dr. Glenn Kimber has conferred with a lot of um, the Jews as far as getting, talking. I think he talked about the breastplates and the stones and the, and the, the temple garments and uh -huh. the apron and all that stuff, teaching them our stuff that goes along with what needs to go in their temple. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, I pulled that shawl, that talent, out of an envelope. Does that sound familiar? A talent? Talent. Do I have the envelope there, Debbie? It's in the, it's in the, um, the box there. Bring it to me for just a second. Uh, their sacred implements, the things that they wear in their synagogues that the rabbis use and stuff, are, uh, are aprons and, and talents or, or this, this, this shawl kind of affair. And they're all stored in, in sacred places within their synagogues. And they're stored in, in envelopes. Does this look vaguely familiar oh, at all? Oh, yeah. This, this, is, this is the envelope that, uh, <laughs> that is used to store these kind of things. So, wow. you know, it, it goes back to, to the beginning of time, to the time of Adam, we know. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of it shows up every once in a while here and there. And it's, the problem is they just don't have it all. And we're blessed to have, have it all. And... Uh, or at least all for now. That's the same with the Hopis. Like, uh, he nearly talks about how they change you, robes from one side to the other. And yeah. In their kivas. And they, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Well. I have one question. Yes, ma'am. Well, this, 20 years ago, we went with Dr. Joseph Gannott. Mm -hmm. You know him? Yes, I do. Anyway, he took us to a place there that we had to go through all the soldiers and get permission to go into this area that they were excavating. He brushed off sand off some of these places. There are beautiful murals, murals. on the ground and tile and that. But he also showed us where there were some caves where they had the original marble that was on the temple at the time of Christ. Your site, I think, is Bet Lehi. Bet Lehi. Yeah. Bet Lehi. 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 Does that sound familiar? That sounds familiar. Yeah, that's yes. Lehi's home. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I know that. There's, you were showing us some caves there. But I wondered about that stone. It Are is, they really going to try to use some of that stone? Do they have a lot of it? That particular site is the only place in Israel where I've seen a temple site, we'll call it a temple site, that had both a Levitical, an Aaronic podium and a Melchizedek podium. More and more research on that site is indicating that perhaps this was also, in its origin, the place of Melchizedek. Maybe this is where Abraham came to pay his tithes and offerings. Because Melchizedek was just outside of that Bethlehem, uh, Jerusalem area. And this is the only temple we've seen that appears to have a Melchizedek setting or a Melchizedek podium or, or a pulpit of sorts. And if, in fact... Um, I've heard some Jewish scholars say that when that site is fully excavated, it will rival any site. Any site. It is the only place and the oldest place we've ever found the word Jehovah etched into the walls. 
Yeah, that's what they do is cover those site those places with sand so that they're not uh, tomb robbers don't take the stones and and, and pieces yeah. away. So they just covered up. Yeah, and there were beautiful murals of large ships yeah, and boats. Kind of falls into the our understanding of Is Lehi. It still open? I mean, do they let people go in there? No. It hasn't been open for some time now. Yeah, special permission is required to access that. Most of that site, as you've alluded to, is underground. Right. Yeah. It's it, it literally is a cave complex underneath there, but it's getting down near the Gaza area down there, and it's a very it's controversial. Israel wants to open up the area for for new apartments and and homes. And the Arabs are squawking at that, and it's it's become a little too volatile to get down there. Furthermore, getting permission to access that site from the Israeli antiquities is is difficult to do too. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. It's so decided that the Dead Sea will be healed. From the. Okay. I saw so. something recently about these like salt pillars that there is fresh water coming up from underneath. I've heard that too. I can't because put. A finger on that. It was taking a ship with somebody and showing him how this fresh water. Well, the Israelis would love to have that happen. Water is their primary, is the number one resource, salvaging the water that comes out of the three springs of the uh, River Jordan. And the only other significant spring in Israel is the Gihon Spring, mm -hmm. which flows fresh living water from right underneath where the temple was. And it's still doing that today. But um, I still remember when yeah. we were there with you um, at Hebron, how that kind of represented, you know, where you thought maybe the transfiguration instead of the other, but the, the representation of the rock, the Lord being the rock and the greatest. Peter, the rock. Yeah, yeah, the rock, but also that that's all the life-giving water that flows, flows down right out of that. Yeah. All of Israel is the rock of Jesus Christ, and then Peter to carry that along. And well, they're so never forgotten that. so concerned about fresh water. If that happens uh, sooner than later, I'm sure that they would they would surely love that. Um, Jordan takes a portion, of course, of the red of the River Jordan because it's the border. They have they have rights to that too. But water's tough. Water is really, really a challenge. They're the number one nation in the world of taking saline, salt water, and transform it into drinkable water. They're, the, they're trying to, to perfect that science, and they're, they're working on it. But uh, that'll be quite a day when this Dead Sea uh, is, is healed. And the water coming from the temple. Yeah. Yeah, it would be the Gihon Spring. Yeah. With a whole lot more water than's coming out of there now. <laughs> That's right. In fact, if you're ever with me and we're, we're in Israel together, maybe we'll walk through some of that water from the Gihon Spring. It's called the Hezekiah's Tunnel. And we'll walk down to the spring location. And that was amazing. Coming from two, you know, two yeah. ends. Yes. And yeah, that's an incredible feat of engineering. It really is. All right. Well, I've talked way, way too long. How do we get with you for tours? If you go through a certain... Uh -huh. 
Yeah, my tours now are pretty much all Morris Murdoch travel. They're the largest travel agency in about four states. You've all heard of Morris Murdoch. Yeah, yeah, they used yeah. to do the missionary travel. All missionary travel was through Morris Murdoch until the church started its own travel industry. Morris Murdoch travel. Wendy, Wendy, like the wind, Wendy is the person that coordinates group travel. And she is ultimately the person that all my tours go through whether it's Autumn in New England Church History Tour, A Birth to Death on Joseph Smith, whether it's Branson and Nauvoo or Missouri only. I've got four or five different tours that I've kind of broken up on different parts of Joseph's life that I tour through Morris Murdoch Travel. And so I do most of their domestic church history tours. They're certainly um, walkable. I had a 93-year-old fellow with the cane is all he had join me last time I had a tour. But they're aggressive, meaning I want to show and tell and you to experience and you have your testimonies just go crazy with as much stuff as I can get into a tour. So there's a lot of stuff we do. A lot of stuff we do. However, in that same breath, I do an American Heritage Church History Tour that starts in Washington, D.C. It's two weeks long, and the first week is doing nothing but big city East Coast, Smithsonian's, Broadway, Boston, and the Freedom Trail. Uh, we, we do a week of, of, of the big cities. It's Washington, D.C., I go from Washington, D.C., and we do a couple of days in New York, a couple of days in Washington, D.C., a day or so in Boston. And funny, just outside of Boston is this little town called Topsfield, where five generations of Smith started. <laughs> That's where we leave big city behind and spend the next 10 days or so um, going on literally a birth to death on Joseph Smith. And so when you get through with that, you come home and go to your bishop and say, Gospel Doctrine Instructor, right here. <laughs> You, you put me and set me apart immediately. I am ready. And you'll be able to really, really do some good stuff. So it's Morris Murdoch travel. That is who most of my stuff is. Can you hear me get your number if we want to call you over? Absolutely. You can phone me or you can, you, can, uh, you can email me. You can text me, whatever you'd like to do on my phone. Uh, my email address is fun. It is footstepsofjoseph, footsteps with an S, footstepsofjoseph at gmail.com. This is kind of a little bit off topic before you go. Um, my grandfather was a mission president in Yorkshire, England, and I have a paper of his from 1965 that talks about Christ's family in Glastonbury in, in England, and I know St. Anna, getting back to the yes. women, St. Anna is all throughout the Breton, you know, the France, right. and England, and all that. So that's Mary's mother's name. So, but, but you, I mean, some of these women have been there. Yes. Well, doesn't Legacy Travel yeah. do a tour back to England? And, yeah. yeah, I bet that would be really incredible. I've never been on it. I'd like to do that. That would be fun. But yeah. you've heard of, of yes. Christ yes. when he came back yes. saying, don't you know what's going on with yes. Rome pretty much? And yeah. that's pretty plausible that all that Joseph of Arimathea would yeah. be going up there to the tin mines. And Very much so. Very much so. Well, thanks, ladies. Appreciate Thank you inviting you. me. Appreciate you it. betcha. I'm just going to pack up my dog and pony show and take off if that's all right. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Your ticket gives you access to a full day of thought-provoking speaker panels. Streamed live from the Kimber Academy in Lehigh, Utah. You'll also receive access to our brand new virtual library. 
dozens of faith-promoting virtual presentations on a variety of spiritual topics. The virtual conference will be available at latterdaynetwork.com.